you know, the enemy doesn't care who you are, what age you are. And so we're seeing individuals later in life be exposed to pornography. We're seeing, you know, we're seeing children. Welcome to the Real Talk 238 podcast with your host, Denise Lee, an Associate Licensed Counselor and Nationally Board Certified Counselor in the state of Alabama under the supervision of Cotina Stroud. The Real Talk 238 podcast has real conversations concerning taboo topics, which people may find themselves struggling with that may not be discussed, especially in relation to the church. The purpose of the Real Talk 238 podcast is to bring awareness, hope, and encouragement. Having these conversations will shed light on the truth and break the lie of being the only one, being stuck, isolated, and alone because there is someone else who has gone through something similar. Topics discussed on the Real Talk 238 podcast are not a substitute nor does it replace professional medical, psychiatric, psychological, or mental health advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and is intended strictly for informational and educational purposes only. All right, let's get started. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to get on here real quick before the actual interview started. First of all, this needs a trigger warning. If you are listening with around kids, please put your earbuds in or just save it for another time when you're, when children are not around because this is not an appropriate topic to have around children. I've wanted to have this conversation for a while and I've had different ones ask me, hey, when are you going to do something on pornography? This is a much needed topic, a much needed subject that needs to be discussed not only in our homes, but also in our churches, in our families, in our marriages, you know, in relationships. If you are involved in a romantic relationship, if you're dating, this is one of those topics that needs to happen because you get into a marriage, guess what? It's going to impact your marriage. So this is really important. I hope you enjoy this interview. As Morelda, she definitely knows her stuff. Have a wonderful day, everyone. Hey, everyone. Thank you today for listening to the Real Talk 238 podcast. I'm so glad you've joined me today. I'm really excited about my guest today. We met over the phone, and it was just because I was reaching out trying to find some information. And you just never know who God will place in your life at the right time. And she was not in the best spot she needed to be, but it all worked out really good, which I'm thankful for. Her name is Esmeralda Delgadillo. She's from Kingwood, Texas. She is a licensed professional counselor. She is married to Gabriel, but been married for 25 years. She's got two kids, Josiah and Hannah. They pastor Family Fire UPC, and they've been pastoring for five years. She's been in church pretty much most of her life. And she's, besides being a pastor's wife and a licensed professional counselor, she's also an ordained minister. 
She's also the Director of Education and Community and Outreach for the Center for Apostolic Counseling. And she describes herself as being a very passionate person. She loves people and she absolutely loves walking alongside people that are hurting and in need of healing. And a fun fact about Esmeralda is she loves antiquing. She loves the old stuff. I do. (laughs) do. How are you doing, Esmeralda? I am so blessed. Thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of your podcast today. I'm excited. I appreciate you so much. You're, You're amazing. You're amazing. And I love everything that you're doing. Thank you so much. Well, the truth of the matter is I only hang out with amazing people. So (laughs) if that tells you anything. (laughs) So something, so we met, you were actually in the hospital with COVID. That's when we met because I was calling about the Center for Apostolic Counseling, trying to get more information. And I've mentioned this on a few other podcasts, but for those of you who do not know, it's a group and all the therapists that are a part of it are all apostolic therapists. We identify as being part of the oneness faith, but that does not mean that we won't see people of other faiths. I I know in my practice, I've seen people that of other denominations. I've had people come in that were identified as atheists, agnostic. We never push our own faith on people because that's not our place. You know, we're there to help people. You know, we're not there to teach a Bible study. That's what I tell people. So there's other times and places for that. Anyways, so that's how we met. And I was just really glad and thankful. And I don't I don't know what what you had thought, (laughs) because here I'm like, well, let me just pray for you. And that's what I did. I was like, here, this stranger calls you up. Well, it was quite refreshing. I love being part of the body of Christ. That's what we're here for, right? Right. And um, I love it because that's exactly what the Center for Apostolic Counseling is. It's a network of apostolic clinicians. And so to have a group of people that are like-minded with the same burden, uh, with the same heart to be able to help the wounded, those that are hurting, it's unbelievable. So I love that you took the initiative to do that. I was like, we definitely want her part of this network. So I think it was kind of the Lord peeking in and saying, hey, you know what? I've got your back. I've got you covered. So, and you're absolutely right. It was a very desperate time for me when I was in the hospital. So we're part of that, you know, faithfulness of God in that moment. That's awesome. And I'm so glad I got to play a part of it because you just never know, like, whose path you're going to come across and how you can help other people out. But so I had asked you, like, since I've been doing this podcast, as pretty much everybody who has listened to it know, I don't shy away from sensitive topics. Like, these are things that you normally, you know, may not be addressed in church. May It may not be so much appropriate to be addressed in church. And obviously, my podcast is for more for the adult population, individuals out there, more mature audiences, because I've touched on some pretty sensitive topics. And so I asked you to come on the podcast because you work in one of those sensitive areas. And, you know, the thing about, I don't know if people realize this, but some with therapists, like oftentimes they, well, not everybody, because not everybody does it. But there are therapists that are going to have specific areas they work with. That's what God's called them to. They have a passion for it. Doesn't mean necessarily that they've been through that sort of thing. It just, for whatever reason, God says, hey, I think you're the perfect fit to work in this area. So I asked you to come on this podcast because you work in the area of pornography and sex addiction. 
Yes, my specialty is sexual addiction and intimacy disorders. A lot of times people hear that and it's, you know, they turn away, they walk away, right? They don't want to look at me, but I do have such a burden and a passion for that area because I've seen the enemy do so much harm. There's been so much destruction and it is something that sometimes brings great shame in the church. It's, it's such a secretive affliction. Right. And you're right. People don't like as soon as you mention stuff like that, they they shy away. I know when I was in grad school and I'm I'm kind of ornery. Um, <laughs> I was taking a class on sexuality. And so I had my book and I was meeting a friend from church, a friend of mine from church. Uh, we met for breakfast at a Cracker Barrel. And so I thought, I'm going to take my book in with me. And so I set it right <laughs> on the table where you can see the cover of it, like and it's right there. And the server comes by and she like, you can see her head drop down and she's like, what in the world? (laughs) Didn't ask no questions. And but yeah, a lot of and especially like a lot of our older, I'd say like 60 plus, not all the time, but majority of the time, 60, 65 and up, they are, they don't like talking about that, these subjects, because it's very, you know, it's hush hush, we don't discuss that, that's private. Right, you're, you're absolutely right. And unfortunately, what we're seeing is that, you know, the enemy doesn't care who you are, what age you are. And so we're seeing individuals later in life be exposed to pornography. We're seeing, you know, we're seeing children One of the earliest cases of sexual addiction was a child of five years old who ran into her father, her father's computer was exposed to his pornography. And she had been visiting those sites quite frequently at five years old, at five years old. Wow. And so her brother caught her. And so, of course, she went through therapy. But so the enemy does not care if he can destroy your your children as young as they are. You know, he tries to do it when they're in the womb. So why would he not try in those very crucial developmental stages and ages. And so we're even seeing, you know, in older individuals, especially with the pandemic and everything, many of them are lonely. Everybody has access to pornography, right? Every single person, if if you have a device, um, you know, a phone, a computer, a laptop, you have access to it. Yeah. It's not like, let's go down to the 7-Eleven and and get the covered up magazine anymore and, and hope nobody sees us. Right. No, now we could do it like privately. It's at your fingertips. And that that is the trap that the enemy puts out there. And so there's so much shame. And I'm sure we'll get into that just a little bit. But because of the access and how easy it is and how shameful it can be for somebody to come out and talk about it, it, it secludes a person, it isolates them. And so they don't want to talk to anybody about it. And, you know, they become an island. And so it's hard to find help unless you come out and ask for it. So I do have to ask you this. What piqued your interest as far as, I know you said God gave you a burden for it and you're passionate about it because it's not a typical area you go into. Like normally therapists think, oh, I'm just going to work with a few depressed people or a few people that are having anxiety. No, this is a totally specialized area. And so what was it one day that caught your attention? I I believe that it was early on in our marriage that we had run into some issues and we were very young. When we did start running into some issues in our marriage and had been exposed to some things, we reached out for help and there was no help available. And so we had to take it upon ourselves because I think, again, it's difficult for you to, you know, come out and actually be honest and vulnerable. 
in the church, there has to be a safe place. And even having this discussion, you know, this is this is being vulnerable. And I'm not putting it out there because, you know, I think there was a pastor that I heard say last week, vulnerability in the hands of God is victory. Vulnerability in the eyes of the world is captivity. And so I'm, I'm trying to be vulnerable now because I believe that when we were transparent and vulnerable and we're looking for help and there we couldn't find anybody, the Lord made a way and we had to go to a therapist who who had to help us to redeem sexuality, who helped us to redeem what the enemy had tried to do as we were developing young people. What we found out was when we reached out for healing, wow, God opened the floodgates and there were so many other people that needed help. We never wanted anybody to go through what we went through. There was a lot of indictment, a lot of misunderstanding. And it was, it was a, from that moment on that I said, Lord, it's not okay. Right. It's not okay that no one's talking about this. And we have been married for 25 years. I want to say this is like the first five years that, you know, and, and I think that's probably the, the uh, marital season that a lot of things begin to come up. <laughs> it's like, you think you know somebody and you don't. And so my husband and I were raised in very different family of origins. I think for myself, I came into the marriage with a very shame-based identity. And for him, you know, he'd been raised in a a very godly family. So there was just a lot of cross-contamination, a lot of issues initially. And again, going back, I think God really, in order for him to use us the way he wanted to use us, and he has, we started doing marriage retreats for our local church. We started ministering to couples. And when you start talking about these issues in particular, like pornography and infidelity. And of course, those things, you know, those things did not happen in our marriage per se to that degree. Yeah. But, you know, like with anything, you start taking territory that has long belonged to the enemy. Right, right. And uncovering. And when we started to delve into those waters, it was, we were just, it was the tip of the iceberg. Right. Something important you bring up about young marriages, you know, like seven years or less. And they've done research on this. So like any problem, the seven year itch, and it does, it cycles like about every six, seven years. Here we go. Whatever started, like whatever the big issue is, it could be anything, money. I don't care if it's money, who's going to be the ruler of the roost or whatever the case may be. That starts out six, seven years prior, and it starts out so teeny tiny, kind of like a seed, right? you know, if you think about it. And then if it takes root, then it it just grows. And and then that's where people get into the arguments of, well, if you hadn't done this so long ago, if you hadn't done that, and that's where it goes to. Right. And, And it does, there's an overflow because again, your family, you know, you have young married couples that if they don't deal with these issues, because you remember in, in, in that season of marriage, you're getting to know one another. Everybody puts up that facade and your best foot forward in the initial stages of engagement and then early marriage. But when you start looking at the baggage that's brought into the marriage and you know that, that level of intimacy, you're, you're barely developing that level of intimacy. There are five stages of intimacy. You have the mental, physical, emotional, you have spiritual, and then sexual. So you have to have all of the other components in order for the sexual intimacy to be healthy. And so when you don't have all those other components, one of my professors said, tell me how your, tell me what your sex life looks like. And I'll tell you what your spiritual life looks like, because they're so integrated 
it, it, you know, sexuality is sacred before the eyes of God. And so when you look at pornography, it's not just about couples and sex. It's about the spirituality. It's about what God has created. You, you cannot separate yourself from your sexuality. You can, you can stop smoking. You can stop doing drugs. You can stop drinking. All of those addictions, you can bring those under subjection and you can pull yourself away from those things. You can't do that with your sexuality. Cannot. It has to be redeemed. And so there has to be a level of, of allowing God and education, you know, that knowledge is power and allowing God to redeem that. And the reason why it's so important early on in marriage is because there is an overflow in the way that we instruct our children about sexuality. And as Christians, if we have a rigidity towards sexuality, then what that does, instead of encouraging our children, you know, to look at sexuality as a gift from God, they become ashamed of sexuality. And so we cannot have transparent conversations with our children and they're learning stuff from the world. They're learning it from their social media, you know, from all of their devices, conversations, and and they're getting misinformation. (laughs) Yeah. Video games, everything, every area, like even rap music or some of the modern music. I know some of the uh, rap music, it just, it's very demeaning when it comes to sexual relationships. So, and that's pretty deep. I never had thought about that before, about your relationship. Tell me what your sex life is and I'll tell you what your, what your spiritual life is. Right. That is powerful. I think it is because again, you have all these other components of intimacy that are necessary for good sexual intimacy. So with pornography, it's a false sense of security. So you look at the dopamine hit, and this is interesting. When you look at dopamine, it's known as the, you know, the, the pleasure center. It's the reward system of the body. So then what happens is people believe that there is this dopamine release, you know, when you're looking at pornography, it's not the release, it's the anticipation. The, the, so, so it's the reward. The, the, the anticipation is at the highest climax of the dopamine drop, if you would, that the hit it's the anticipation. And so what does that mean? It's like, I'm going to get the reward. And so, you know, the, the, the brain, uh, the neurotransmitters are, are preparing for that. There's the hit. The reward never comes. The reward does not come. It's the anticipation that is the climax of when that dopamine release is. And you look, you think about pornography. It is such a false sense of security and intimacy. That's why it's so addictive. That is why it's so addictive. And there is no real reward. You know, if you look at, at, at pornography and what's so alluring and why it's so addictive is because it's usually attached to a biological release or response, masturbation, so forth. Unfortunately, that's not an authentic reward. That's one component. That's the biological component. But what about the emotional, the spiritual, the mental, all the other components that God created for us to enjoy? Right. It's not there. And it shouldn't be shamed. That's the other thing too. It should not be shamed. And when you grow grow up in the crazy households, the home I grew up in, like it was, it was not a good, happy topic. Right. And it was very shameful. And, and it's like, how do you deal with that? 
And so how do you how do you reconcile? And this is where I think that as Christians, we need to do a better job to create a bridge with our children and be able to talk about these things. Because if we tell them, you know, how could you do that? And, and, and we respond with indictment instead of saying, you know what? According to the word of God, nothing separates us from his love. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No one, nothing. There's nothing that can. This is a situation. It is sin. Why? We don't set evil things before our eyes. But you know what? Lying is a sin. Right. Gossiping is a sin. Backbiting is a sin. Sin is sin in the eyes of God. Yeah. There's no, there's no like no level whatsoever. It's all even. And, and every single one of it is forgiven. But you know what? We have got to be able to redeem. We have got to be able to have these conversations with our family members, people that find themselves, you know, in this kind of a pit. There's a difference. And this is what I did want to say. Not everybody that looks at porn is addicted. And I appreciate you saying that too. Not everybody that looks at porn is addicted. Addiction is associated with compulsive behavior. They cannot pull away from it. So break that down, what that what that means when you say it's it's not an addiction. But addiction is a compulsive behavior. Break that it, down. It, it's a compulsive behavior. Okay, so it's it's problematic behavior. What does that mean? That means that they cannot stop for as much as they want to. There is a biological response. It, there is a craving that is uncontrollable. They've tried to pull away from it. They they have not been successful, or or they're willing to partake of that behavior in spite of the consequences. Because there are consequences there. They can where they're looking at porn at work or, you know, they their partner has tried to tell them, you know, I'm going to divorce you. I'm going to leave you or maybe even fallen into legal matters. And we look at all these different areas and we say, why would you do that? I've already told you that I'm going to leave you. You know, um, you're you're messing up at work. You can get fired or maybe a student or a young person has sent images or looking at images that is jeopardizing their future because they could go to prison. Now, if you send pornography, if you send a nude picture, if you're a minor and you send it to another minor, you can get in trouble for that. It is against the law. Right. And and that's an important point you bring up because a lot of the pornography that's online Right. It is with minors. It's not always adult women. And these are women who have been trafficked. They've been drugged up. The acts that they're portraying can be very, you know, I don't think a normal person could go through that stuff. Deviant. There's a lot of deviance out there. Yes. And so your children, you know, they're as adults, we find it hard. We, we have to use control. We have to ask God for temperance. And, and the Holy Ghost has to be able to direct us to say, hey, this temptation, why? Because you and I are human beings. Right. We were not meant to look at nakedness outside of the compounds of, you know, the marriage bed and unity between husband and wife. So we're human beings. And so if it's difficult for us to process those kind of things, your children, my children, our children cannot, their brains are not meant to handle those kinds of deviancies, but younger and younger, the enemy is, is targeting them. The, our society is targeting them. You look at all of their social media, my goodness, it is thrown in their face. 
thrown in their face. And so that's why it's so important that when your your children are young people, uh, if they have devices, my goodness, use use wisdom and, and get them some filters. You know, in my household, we use covenant eyes and we use bark. Okay. That's what we have a 15 year old. We have those on her devices. Um, I have a 23-year-old son. I am not his accountability partner. I don't want to be <laughs> my husband, you know, from one man of God to another. That is his accountability partner. No one is exempt. There are pastors, ministers, bishops, evangelists, youth workers, women, men. Many people have been exposed to pornography and many have fallen into the pit. And that's an important point you bring up because like, some people don't think it happens in the church. Some people don't think it happens in ministry. Some people don't think it happens with men. I mean, they might think it more so with men, but especially with women, they don't think it happens and it does. It absolutely does. I think one research not too long ago was 30% of evangelical women find themselves addicted to pornography. And again, not everybody who watches porn is addicted, but you have significant markers, mood, you, it affects your mood. Um, there's physical discomfort, disconnection, disconnection and isolation fuel pornography addiction and sexual addiction because it's so shameful. I don't think I've ever met one person who said, oh yeah, like, this has been great. Like this, no, because that reward, that that dopamine hit, there's never a full reward. There might be a biological release, but the shame at the end, it's a dopamine crash. It's a dopamine crash because porn is poison to our families. It's poison to our churches. But we need to be able to get to a point where we we connect with the people around us. And sometimes, you know, people equate pornography to, well, man, you're just a, you're a pervert. Okay. You're a sexual pervert. It's the spirit of lust. Let me tell you something. Pornographic addiction is not about sex all the time. Sometimes it's about the dysregulation. It's about the trauma. It's about the exposure. It's about everything before that. Now, do you find like, like individuals who have had a trauma history, like a severe sexual trauma history, like sometimes they get it because it's, I don't know, it's like a connection with their past, what happened and what they're viewing. A lot of times I do, but the majority of the time I find that it's an attachment wound. So I would say that our first love affair, our first real love connection is with our parents. It's with our parents. That's the first, first people we ever fall in love with. And so when there's not that connection, when there's not that attunement, when there's not that security, when, when there's not that regulation, it's like, you know, when a child is on a playground and they fall and, and they cry because they're hurting and they run to their mom and their mom swoops them up and comforts them and says, hey, it's going to be okay. That child learns to regulate. That mother is a regulator for that child. And so they wipe their face off and they go back, you know, playing, they, they're secure enough to go back to the playground, you know, and get in there and have a good time. Well, what about the child who falls off the slide or something, gets hurt, runs to the mother and is crying and hurting. And the mother goes, well, you shouldn't have done that. That's what you get. So just get up and go back over there. I don't want to hear it. That child has to learn to regulate. That child has to learn to take care of themselves. And they are wounded on the outside. Fast forward. Okay. When things happen in life, 
and a person doesn't know how to regulate and they're completely unsure and they don't know if they're loved and they don't know if they're enough. Right. And so all of those components are important to look at in regard to sexual acting out. And so that's what I see a lot of times that there are attachment wounds. Sometimes it's trauma, you know, that that those situations where there's been severe sexual trauma. So you have two different, two different directions, I guess you would, it serves as a catalyst of hyposexuality or hypersexuality, right? So it depends on their exposure. Sometimes they've been exposed to deviant sex acts. They've been exposed to pornography, masturbation, young, young, super young. And so that's all they know. That's all they they've learned. There's a biological response, there's a release. And so they're used to that. And therein goes this this life of sexual brokenness that develops. And it's definitely a very painful thing. Obviously, I'm very passionate about this area because I've seen so many people hurting. It's easy to shy away from these things and just think, how could you look at that? How could you do that? And I also have a huge burden for working uh, you know, with spouses who've been wounded you know, emotionally and mentally you know, from sexually acting out or infidelity, which is the betrayal trauma. You have a lot of people, and I see this so often in the church, is, uh, well, so what if he did that? At least he didn't have an affair. You know, he didn't actually act, uh, act out or can't you just forgive and move on? And so a lot of people don't understand when I talk about porn being poison and the way that it, it destroys marriages is because there's such a disconnection. So that that marital union is completely severed and it takes time to build that bridge of connection again. And so can a woman just completely get over betrayal trauma in regard to porn? No, no. <laughs> I think we're both no. definitely in agreement that no, it ain't that easy. No, because her brain is change. The prefrontal cortex is actually affected. One um, doctor say it's almost like the the filing cabinet of, of the known. Everything that she knows and understands, her whole world, you know, her view of her husband, everything is filed in that little filing cabinet, you know, and then there's disclosure. She discovers that her husband's been looking at pornography, you know, or someone that she loves. It's like somebody going into that filing cabinet that's very orderly, taking those files and just throwing them everywhere. Well, there goes the hippocampus all messed up. <laughs> exactly. The amygdala, everything, fight or flight, everything is affected. And so to try to recover, you know, and be able to build new memories and start a new narrative, it takes work and it takes time. Yes, the Lord can heal. Yes, God wants to heal and bring things together. But sometimes we need to sit down and reason together. And where do we get that from? We get it from him. Come now, let us reason together, though your sins be as scarlet. You know, that is God. He he is a God of reason. And sometimes we need to sit down and we need to talk things out, you know, and we need to let the truth be known and go to those areas, those deep, dark areas. That's why I love it. I love it. I consider it a sacred place to be able to sit with the people of God and go into those dark, dark areas of their lives and let God shine a light. And here's the the key part of that, too. It's it's without judgment. Absolutely. Because you can't when you're dealing with stuff like that. I work in area trauma and I hear horrific stories and it's like, and I've even heard stories of individuals who have 
violated somebody else. And it, to hear those stories, I mean, normally, normally speaking, what people do is like, oh, that's a bad person. Oh, this. But honestly, that person, I don't care who, especially if it really has eat at them and they need, they need to be heard without judgment. Right. You know, because they, they're they already feeling condemned. Right. We're, we're not here to indict anyone. And I think that, again, that's the beauty. We, we don't throw things under the rug. That's not what this is about. It's about allowing people to have a safe and sacred place to be able to talk about those things that have haunted them. The Bible says, confess your faults one to another, pray for one another that ye may be healed. And so as therapists, we sit in that sacred place and give people space, the space that they need to be able to talk about those things that have haunted them. Yes. And as a therapist, you know, we're not there to take any place of a pastor. Like if somebody attends a, you know, a church of somebody else, we're not there to take the place of pastor. No, absolutely not. And that's that's what we love about the CAC, because what we do is we work with pastors you know, pastors have, they have their plate full, you know, and the great thing about having an apostolic therapist is, you know, we get to sit in that place and pastors get to preach and pastor, you know, um, their constituents, their sheep, their saints. Yes. Without feeling like if I, if I mention this one thing that that member is not going to feel like I'm targeting them. You know, so that's the great thing. And so we love pastors. You know, we we thank God for them, that they trust us as therapists. And so we we take that to heart. Right. And uh, of course, there is confidentiality. So we don't go and and, you know, we cannot cross those boundaries with anyone unless we have a release of information. So anybody listening to this, you don't have to worry about confidentiality. Again, we create a sacred place to be able to share those things. So which means in a nutshell, if you come from somebody's church, if you have a pastor and your pastor says, I want you to go to see Esmeralda or Denise, we are not going to go back to your pastor and say, well, this is what your, right. the member of your church said. Right. Because right. ethically, we can't do that. We'd, no. be in a, we hit, we'd be in a bowl of hot water. None of us want to lose our license. <laughs> no, we don't. So... We, we definitely believe that in the day and times that we are living in, it is time for the people of God to be able to deal with those issues that have been so shameful and so secretive because the Lord is coming soon. That's right. And he's coming back for a bride without spot and blemish. And, and I tell people this, that arrive to, to my practice in, in crisis and, and situations like this, and I have wives that are crying or mothers, you know, my son, my daughter, my husband, or my wife, all of these situations, I always tell them, the Lord loves you so much that he allowed this to come to the light right now, right now, so that you can have deliverance, so that your family can be healed, because they, they arrive hurting and wounded. And so we have to be able to allow the love of God we have to show that to the people around us. So if you've got somebody in your family, one of your loved ones that's struggling with pornography, and I know you might be feeling, you know, betrayed, you might be feeling afraid. As a parent, we cannot parent out of fear. We have to parent out of grace, from a place of grace, not fear. Now, what about like pastors who have members of their church that are dealing with this? Like, 
how can pastors or pastor's wife or anybody in leadership for that matter in ministry, how can they like walk and maneuver through that and support that person? Well, definitely. I think there needs to be an accountability. One of the things that we have always encouraged in our movement is to, we need to do a better job of having a support system. Right. I agree with that. Absolutely need to, to do a better job. I think for men, women, and young people, I think when we have these conversations, you know, if you're a youth pastor, um, youth pastors, you know, talk about these things. Why? Your young people are facing them. Yes. You know, if you have marriage retreats, bring these things to the table. You know, I, I know that these subjects are taboo, but the enemy doesn't care. No, the, he does, that's the truth of the matter. The enemy does not care. And he's going to try to destroy the people of God from the inside out. Right. And so I think if you're a pastor and you're seeing these situations happen more often, start a support group. If you don't want to call it, you know, an essay group, because they're all over. You look out and different denominations Wow, they have these models of support systems that will blow you away. They they support their people. A support system that's going to go and elevate. And well, let me tell you what I did last week. We're not talking about that. We're talking about because there's so many other elements in regard to sexual addiction or even pornography. There's the depression component. There's the anxiety component. There's the isolation. There's there, there's so many things that you have to take into consideration. So don't shy away from the opportunity to minister to somebody who is struggling in this area. Right. Nine times out of 10, if you've got one person who come, who has the courage to come to you and say, Hey, pastor, I'm struggling. Believe me, you've got many more that are struggling with. Yeah. They're just not talking about it. They're not talking about it. So I think that we need not shy away from it. And, and I applaud those churches. I applaud those pastors and ministries that have said, you know what? No more. No more. There are many other movements, many other denominations that are stepping up. And I love the apostolic church. I love the people of God. And I think it's time that we redeem sexuality, that our children that are coming up are able to look at it as a gift from God, their sexuality. My goodness, is there a distortion in identity and sexuality right now? everywhere, everywhere. And I am not willing to let the enemy come in and take that away from us. Because as the children of God, when we begin to doubt and be distracted by sexuality, it affects identity. Absolutely. It affects identity. We forget who we are. We feel shame. There's confusion. And we're seeing that right now across our movement everywhere young people that aren't sure sure what they are who they are you know the enemy that was his modus operandi from the very beginning yes he started that mess with eve he did if he could just get her to forget who she was get her to forget that she had everything she needed and then on top of it question you know well did god really say that exactly exactly um, I, me and my husband were talking one time about that, about Eve and, and some commentaries have said like when she was in the garden, you know, one, where was Adam? And then two, the serpent was there and some believe that the serpent actually pushed Eve's hand to the tree. Well, look at, you know, you're, you're still alive. It's okay. You know, I'm, I don't know for sure. I wasn't there, <laughs> but, um, just, you know, it just, 
that's and that's the way the enemy works. He twists it. He he just twists it a little bit, gives it a little bit different look it, to make you think, huh? Well, maybe this isn't what it is, and or is is the Bible really true? Because pornography, like you said, it 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 affects. I, I think you said like five different areas of your life. What about like women in the church or women in general, but women who particularly in the church and they struggle with this and they're they're ashamed to tell anybody because they think this is a man's problem or it's a men's issue. And of course, then there's the shame there and they don't want to tell anybody. I mean, what do you do with that? I think that women, well, first of all, I think that we're very good at concocting scenarios in our head. I think women are notorious for fantasies. Right. You know, you look at fairy tales, right? <laughs> you know, in so many ways, there's, there's, you see things like Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, yeah. All of this romanticizing. Harley Quinn so romance. <laughs> exactly. You know, you've got erotic, you know, erotica, th- those kinds of things. I think that women have to be able to come to a place. They have to question, where are my thoughts coming from? Where is this coming from? What does it say about me? And, and there is this bias and this, I think, this untruth that women don't struggle. How can you not struggle? You are a sexual being. Right. And so to say that women don't, we may not struggle in the same way that men do. But again, for us, it's the scenarios in the head. So we do have to be careful what we're taking in. Yes. What we're looking at. What we're what listening we're to. Hearing. Absolutely. <laughs> what we're Absolutely. reading. <laughs> Absolutely. So I, I think again, if, if you're if you're struggling, if as a woman you find yourself struggling, you have to remember that you cannot let the enemy indict you or shame you because God is the one that created your sexuality. But I think this goes back to not being ashamed of what the word of God says. We're created in the image of God. You go back to the garden, these people were naked and had no shame about it. They had no shame about it. Why? Because God is the one that created them. And it wasn't until they were convinced that what they had was, wasn't was good enough. Or, right? or what they didn't have was not good enough. <laughs> right, exactly. And even then, you know, the great thing about God and how he redeems us, you've seen them trying to put fig leaves on and God says, I'm going to cover you with something better. And there is such a counterfeit with pornography. You know, it's like, move the fig leaves. You think that's sexuality? No, that's not real sexuality. Let me cover you. It's when God steps in and we be able to look at things and even our sexuality. I I love the book of Song of Solomon. I'm like, that's real sexuality there. (laughs) That's amazing. That's love. That's passion. That's connectedness right there. (laughs) That's the, you know, but that's the dirtiest book in the Bible, but it is. I love it. I love it because because of the love that is so laced. Yes. Yes. And it really is not dirty. It's a, it's a beautiful book and, and it, but it's, it's very detailed and like with no shame, with no shame whatsoever, with no shame because it's completely encapsulated, you know, by the heart and the essence of what God meant sexuality to be. And I was just thinking, I don't, that, that was so like, so random. My aunt, my aunt who had such a interesting influence on my life. That's what she would always say. She called it the dirtiest book in the Bible. And it's really not the dirtiest. It's a beautiful love story. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think that when you look at that, for women, we look at that, people might look at it and go, oh my goodness, all this is happening. But you see the heart, 
you see the heart and the love that's there and what true intimacy um, should be. Yes, you know, especially about, and I'm glad you did bring up the book of Psalms because there is activity in there. I mean, they go into like everything from oral sex and fondling and all that stuff, which should be a normal part of a a husband and a wife in, in their marriage as it's okay with them. But then you have these other individuals married and, and they're not always, there's some that aren't okay with what should be normal in a relationship, in a sexual relationship, because it was so twisted. Right. And I'm glad you brought that up because you, you look at the topic of pornography and for some people, pornography is a very normal thing. And so it's widely accepted. And some of that mentality does leak into the church and Christian marriages. And I think that's where we really have to be able to say, wait a minute, does this align with what the word of God speaks? This isn't doing anything for my marriage. Why? Because if you're looking, you know, watching things, how are you completely present in the marital relationship? You can't be. We were not meant to share our images. We were not meant to share our mind and our bodies with somebody outside of the marital relationship. So remember, again, you have that dopamine anticipation and all this, these facades and all of this make-believe and fantasy. How are you connected to the person, to your spouse? You can't be. You cannot be. And so then you wonder why there's so many problems in the marital relationship in regard to sexuality. Yes. Why the intimacy is not really there. One spouse complaining, you know, he's not really there. I feel like he's a million miles away or he doesn't look at me or I feel like he's thinking of something else. So it produces a lot of insecurity in the area of intimacy. Especially like in in sexual intimacy, it produces a major amount of insecurities. Right. And, and, and in regard to children and young people, how does it affect them? How does pornography affect young people? Well, absolutely. There are distortions in sexuality. So you have them, some of them are going to use substance abuse because they don't know how to handle, you know, what they're feeling. Their hormones are everywhere. They're being awakened in those areas before they can socially, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually handle any of those things. So they're, they're opening doors. Yes. And they don't know how to fight those battlefronts. Yes. And so as parents, we cannot, you know, hide our head in the sand. Yes, that's absolutely right. And that's, that's a definite a wonderful point, like about young people and, and too, like within families, I think discussions about sex really need to be a normal, normal conversation. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be nothing that's made fun of because I don't know if people realize this. I'm sure you realize this, but like even little kids, like I'm talking two, three year old, they will, they will like start investigating their bodies because they're curious. And then they discover, oh, well that feels, you know, they're touching them. They're touching their they're touching their personal parts. And it's like, oh, that that really feel they find out this is a good thing. This feels good. And then say you have a parent who who was just maybe something happened to him. I don't know. Or they're shame, you know, that's shameful. And then it's like, well, shame, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be touching yourself. You shouldn't. 
And, and right. so it, it kind of, it goes back to that twisting and. Well, that's when we have, you know, sometimes if you have a parent who was traumatized in that area, so they start projecting onto their children, right. and if their child parts, if they're wounded parts, yes. if they can't have passion and patience for their wounded parts, they, and they're shameful, they project that onto their children. So you're absolutely right. I think being able to have those conversations with our children, with our young people, not shaming them, giving them an opportunity, you know, to, to share what they're going through. Like this is, you know, this is what I've fallen into. How we respond as parents is either going to build a bridge and leave an open door for our children to come to us yes. or they're going to run away from us. That's right. That's absolutely right. So they're they're not going to come to us when they're feeling anxious, you know, or or depressed, or you know, if they've gotten into something they weren't supposed to, or they're terrified to come and talk to their parents about maybe areas of sexuality that they're struggling with. Don't panic. <laughs> Don't panic. If there's an apostolic parent out there who is, you know, upset and and you're angry because your child has you know, told you something, maybe they've been exposed to pornography, you know, um, right now there's, there's a lot of kids who are thinking about their identity. Don't panic. That's what the enemy wants you to do. You have to know that you are raising them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And what I say is, as a parent is I've got to make sure that I am assimilating, that I am the, uh, a good epistle that they can look at and say, wait a minute, if I fall down, how do I get back up? Right. How can I get out of this situation? We need to be able to show them the grace of God, the love of God, the forgiveness of God. And you have to remember about young people, they're very limited on their resources when it comes to being able to regulate. You and I are adults. We, we learned some things over the years on how to cope with stress with how to cope with disappointment, with how to cope with difficult situations. Young people are very limited because their brains are not fully, fully, fully developed yet. So they have a small toolbox that they can pull from in learning how to cope and regulate. So as parents, you know, we can come in and say, okay, yeah, you were introduced to this. Yes, you've been doing this. Talk to me about what's behind that. Yes. How's your heart? You know, I've, I've talked to my kids. How's your heart? Where's your mind? You know, my kids always, you know, will look at me as a therapist. No, mom, I'm not depressed. No, mom, I'm not anxious. You know? <laughs> because I have to stop and I have to say, you know what? I can look at their behavior and it could irritate me. It could make me feel like what's wrong with them, you know, but I have to look beyond that. And the same thing goes in the marital relationship, the attunement. Right. We've got to find each other. Right. And and if you don't know what attunement is, it's just, it basically means you're on the same page. Um, couples who've been, oh man, me and my husband, we do, we get in attunement with each other. And, and I know you've had this. It's usually people have been married a long time, but yeah. like we'll both be thinking about what we both want for dinner. It'll be the same place, same, <laughs> same, same menu. And it, and just things like that, you know, that is called attunement. It's just, you're on the same page with each other. That's right. And I, and I do believe in familial attunement Yes. right now, you know, with everything happening with the um, pandemic and the quarantining and so forth, and trying to find that normal again, people are very isolated and disconnected. You have young people going to their rooms, they're doing school online, and now they're opening up. But, you know, there was a time there when there was a lot of isolation and disconnectedness. If we're going to tell our kids to turn off 
their electronics. If we're going to tell them to get off social media, I found out we've got to be present. Right, right. We got to do it too. We've got to be present because they're looking to connect. (laughs) We got to lead by example. Exactly. They're looking to connect. So I have to show up. And the other thing too, because I think the pandemic has For some people, this has been a great thing. Other people, this hasn't been a great thing. You know, you talk about, you know, we're quarantined. We we had to get quarantined to our homes. Well, that means that everybody lives in that home. We're all coming together. And there have been some people that found out, oh, I really don't like my family. And then other people, they got real creative and, and, you know, they made valuable time during that during the quarantine. Absolutely. They, they took time to get to know one another. Others did not. They, they were very fearful. And so again, there was a lot of disconnectedness. And so now we're having to redeem that time, try to connect. And this is what I love about how God orchestrates everything. You look at pornography and the way that it poisons an individual. It it does the same thing for a family. It's it affects everybody because that one person that may be dealing with it disconnects from everybody else. And so you have many people in one family who can be in the same house and be so lonely. And so uh, one of the things that I do find out is people that fall into that trap of you and pornography, they say, and this is something because again, high numbers of people explain it as if I'm bored, I'll do it. If I'm bored, I'll watch it. And I'll say, let's let's replace that word bored with lonely. Then that's a good point. And it really is. It's, you know, it's lonely. It's loneliness. I live in this house with people, but I'm still lonely. Right. So one of the ways to be able to suck the life out of that one and allow God to redeem it is connect with people, nervous system to nervous system, sit with them, talk to them, active listening. You know, it's amazing that when we start connecting to people, right, we're relational, Yes. We are relational. Something that me and my husband had to learn, because there was a period of our life, it, it was because we didn't know how to communicate with each other. And that was the big, the big problem. When we first met, we lived, we actually lived in two different states. And back in that day, we didn't have cell phone. We didn't have unlimited minutes. We, and we paid per minute. So here we are in two different states. Okay, and all we could do was talk. We communicated by phone. No, we did not meet over a 1-800 number. We <laughs> I get asked that a lot. But we we met through friends and and that's how we met and so we would communicate and that's how we met. But over after we got married, we had a very short courtship. After we got married and we're living together, then we discovered, oh, who doesn't put the toilet paper on right? Or where this person, right. who doesn't squeeze the tube of toothpaste in the right spot? Or who leaves their socks on? The, you know, just the stupid stuff that you end up fighting over. And as time went on, years, we stopped communicating. And it just kind of put a wedge and it almost cost us our marriage, sadly. But we had to relearn how to communicate. And now both of us are very much, we want to make sure we keep building that. And so we take time. Sometimes I'm up, like he gets up very, very early to go to work. Guess who's up sometimes with him? And that is our time to talk. Is it a sacrifice? Yeah. Being up at 3.30 and 4 o'clock in the morning, it's not for everybody. But for me, it's worth it because it's that communication piece, which if you build communication, you learn to talk. Guess what? You're building that intimacy. 
Absolutely. And it is, I think that's one of the ways to be able, I, I would say guardrail. Yes. A guardrail from falling into that pit of pornography is develop authentic communication. Show up. And and if I can throw anything out there today, how do I protect my family? How do I protect my marriage, you know, from this poison, you know, entering into my, my family? I would say show up, be present, you know, look for things to do together as a couple, as a family, because it's so easy to get distracted. Right. You know, I talk about one of the first levels of intimacy and it's mental intimacy. And I don't think that's just in marriage. I think it's it's just having that concern for one another, companionship. And I think even for our children, you know, having more than, hey, how are you doing? And then they go to their room and you go to your room and you're or you're you're busy doing your thing, you know, as a parent, as a as a a couple, we've got to stop. And, and stop avoiding, whether it's from a, an avoidant, you know, a fearful avoidant attachment wound or an anxious attachment, whatever attachment, whatever trauma, I think that we have to make space for one another. You know, take time to connect. Right. Something I was thinking about, and, and this does happen with couples, I've known with, I don't work with a lot of couples, but I have seen this, is where, okay, you have one person that is totally evolved into pornography, which has impacted their sexual relationship. Just, okay. And then you have the the other partner who feels totally betrayed because my, you know, my spouse doesn't want me no more because they're interested in what's on the screen, what's on the, in the, the pictures or the video or whatever the case may be. And so their intimacy, basically their sex life goes it goes down the toilet and so nothing's happening then it like how how do you how can a couple rebuild that well i i've worked with couples where the husband's going well you know if she's not going to be intimate with me then i'm going to fall right back into that trap and i stop them right there i stop them right there because that is not true there's not one male who will die if he does not have sexual intimacy. I, you know, Sister Marion Pete always says, I've never gone to a cemetery and saw, you know, here dies, who here lies someone because they did not have sexual intimacy. You're not going to see that. Sometimes there needs to be a period, again, of, of temperance. That person has to be able to regulate. Yes. You know, so I work with couples. So I, you know, so if there's a, a sexually addicted husband, I always tell him, you know, you've got to be patient. You need to exercise temperance anyway. Why? Because the addictive self wants what it wants, when it wants it, and it wants it now. Right. And so that's the addictive side of that person. That needs to be tempered. That needs to be brought back. And there needs to be trust that's developed because he might have a physical need, but she has an emotional need. Okay. She has a mental need. She may have a spiritual uh, need. So we look at those all, you really want to know how to, how to build that bridge towards having great sexual intimacy. You've got to build mental intimacy, physical, non-sexual, you know, intimacy, emotional intimacy and spiritual intimacy. Right. So that non-sexual touch thing, that does not mean for guys, you know, don't go leading towards her breast the first thing you touch. And that's pretty 
that's pretty plain and forward, but that's what it means. You know, exactly. it means caressing without necessarily being sexual. Right. And so there has to be some healing. And so you look at the ramifications or the effects of pornography. And a lot of times we find that for men that are struggling with sexual addiction, there's also uh, something called sexual anorexia, which means that sometimes they cannot find you know, sexual intimacy satisfying because their bodies are already accustomed to pornography, the images, release, masturbation, all of those things. So it hijacks their ability to really enjoy intimacy with their wives. I'd never heard of that before. Wow. I learned something new every day. So can, when somebody's experiencing like sexual anorexia, can they actually repair that? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, sometimes I think that there's this misconception that men are, are only physical. Right. But you know what? They are body, soul, and spirit. And so again, I think when there is that vulnerability and they can be transparent with their partner and talk about those things, because again, just because they look at pornography, that's not real sexuality. That's that's a way that people regulate. <laughs> that's medication for them is what it is. So when you take that medication away from them, when they are no longer viewing pornography, everything that's been under the surface rises the anxiety, the depression, the frustration, the insecurity. And so I always tell women, you know, that their partners get ready because you're about to see his true self. What he's been medicating all this time, you're about to see who he really is. And so you've got to be patient and, and, and they have that betrayal trauma. So he has to do his work and she has to do her work. She has to be healed. She has to work, right. you know, on, on her process. Because now she doesn't know if she can trust her, her, her own red flags. She doesn't know if she can trust herself. Because a lot of times I've talked to women and they say, well, I knew something was going on, but I didn't know what I was going on. So there were red flags or, you know, things that she would see, she would feel, but she didn't trust herself enough to say, wait a minute, this, this stops right here. A lot of times they're just sideswiped by they're, they're finding out in a horrible way. And so even as therapists, I'm, I'm sure you probably have worked with couples when, when disclosure comes yes. out. That, that is such a vulnerable state, <laughs> you know, when you have disclosure uh, because everything is coming to the surface. Um, but I always view disclosure as an opportunity for God to do something great, for God to do something great, because for the person who has been in the addiction or the person who's been struggling with this it is a weight lifted off of them. Many times it's like, man, I wanted her to find out, you know, or I, I've always wanted to tell somebody, but I couldn't. And I think that God knows that. I think that God knows that, you know, sometimes it's like, man, if we had the choice, we wouldn't do it. We would not let it come out. But God in his goodness, God, because he loves us, allows those things that are in the dark to come to the light. Right, right. And I think that's so important. You know, it's people need a safe place without judgment where they can talk about things. And and I know individuals who I've worked with that, you know, maybe they sexually abuse somebody and they're carrying around. Are they into that now? No, but they've carried around that shame and that burden. I've worked with several individuals and it's, it's, they just, they're carrying around and they really want to get it out, but they don't know who they can trust. And when they finally have the opportunity and I don't shy away from them, like, okay, tell me what happened. And when they can finally tell them what happened, like the tears just flow down their face 
And they finally feel relief because they've been carrying around this, this horrible, you know, this horrible burden forever. And they don't know where to go with it or who's going to judge them. And, and I think, you know, in, in my, in my practice, it's like just knowing that somebody has a place where they can safely share what they need to. I mean, that just, it makes my job worthwhile. It really does because, you know, I know I can be a part of the kingdom of God and maybe that's where I'm just that piece of the puzzle where it can get them closer to healing. And I don't know if you feel that way, but I definitely do. I think, I think that, you know, again, we, we provide that sacred place. Yes. Where you get to hear them out. And of course, and this is the little caveat there, right? If someone is sexually abused, someone, you know, we have, we are reporters in, in that, you know, automatically. Uh, but I think there are people who've, who've gone through, you know, the system and have been imprisoned. Uh, they've, they've really paid the price and the consequence for their behavior, but the shame is still so much there. Yeah. And like you said, we're, we're mandated reporters. And that's one of the first things I'm asking. Okay. When did this happen? How long ago? How how long? Um, Cause I want to know, is this still happening? Cause that's a whole different caveat. And, and I'm not out to, cause I'm looking to, throw everybody under the bus who's who's experienced that no I just want to make sure okay is this still active and that's a good point too because I think that is one of the consequences I think we need to be very careful because we're seeing young people that are being introduced to pornography and we're seeing it affect sexual abuse because what's happening is is children and young people are viewing all of this and becoming very um, sexually curious, and they're acting out, out on their peers. So now you've got, with the rise in pornography, now you've got sex trafficking and child sexual abuse. Yes. So be aware, parents, that we need to be looking at what our children are viewing, what they're being sent, who they're communicating right. with. We've got to protect our families from this. Kids hate it. I mean, I I, I know yes. I've had adolescents <laughs> that's like, why does my mom have to look at everything on my phone? And I'm thinking, because if you only knew what boogers were out there, you would know yeah. why yeah. your mom's looking. And sometimes I've had to ask parents, are you okay if I drop the bomb? And, and it's, this is why. And they're like, please do. And so I get very real with them. I don't, I mean, if they're looking at this stuff, I don't sugarcoat it. I'm like, I, yeah, I give them the talk. Right. And, and, and I think that's so necessary. And I don't want anybody leaving this talk today feeling overwhelmed, like there's no hope, or this is just very dark and this is overwhelming because it is everywhere. But you know what? We are children of God and God is giving us all of the tools. And now we've got to educate ourselves. Again, um, you know, we have the Holy Ghost, we have the anointing. And so that's Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so I think that if we can rally together and give our our children, give our families a fighting chance, okay, by bringing these things to the forefront. And, you know, I think as parents, we have a responsibility to teach our children how to fight, not just the enemy, but how to fight our own inherited family traumas. 
I've got to be able to teach my children. Let me tell you, this is running our family for a while. You know, this is this is the the delgadillo, or this is the Navarrete. You know, we've got to put this thing to bed because she rises up. You know, I've got to be able to hand down to the next generation how to fight. You know, the internal struggles and demons that are there because of my flesh. Yes, because we have authority over the enemy. He is under our feet. We know that he is not our biggest enemy. It is this. Flesh. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you no, know? and so you look at it, and we are driven away by our own desires. I tell parents all the time: be careful what doors that you open, because what you think only affects you is not true. Right. Well, as we come to closing, man, we just went kind of a little bit. It was all about sex today. I don't know how else to put it, but it really was, which is needed. It is definitely a needed topic. I hope you will come back because. I mean, you really bring light to conversation about sexuality and sex and pornography that I think church as a whole is not addressing. Thank you for having me. And, and, and again, I feel like if we can do anything to help the body of Christ and families to take back what the Lord has given us and redeem sexuality and, and pass on what healthy sexuality looks like, and just to protect our families uh, from the horrible poison. Right. So real quick, um, at the very end, I always ask, I always ask my guests to talk to that person out there. And I'm thinking of one of a somebody in particular, I mean, not nobody that I personally know, but just uh, a per, you know, just in general, but talk to that person who's in ministry, and that is struggling with pornography or sexual addiction. Talk to that person, you can be free. You can be free. I think one of the great deceptions of the enemy is, is that, you know, God can't help you out of this. Um, I think as ministers, as, as leaders, we give and we give and we give, and sometimes it can be exhausting. I am here to tell you today that God sees you. He sees exactly where you're at, and God can give you rest for your soul. He can give you rest for your, your mind, your emotions, your body. Okay. And you can be free. I don't care how long you have battled with this. When you take that step to let somebody in, you've already to told the enemy, you've already given him instruction that he has to go, that he can no longer hold this over your head. There is, there is freedom. The moment that you decide to go to someone for help, to reach out for help, and allow somebody, I always say this, Jesus had 12, he surrounded himself with 12 men, 12 men. And then when he was at, in a desperate place, he reached out to two of them. Now they fell asleep on him, but nonetheless, he reached out. Right. So we have that example that you can't do this all by yourself. And it's okay to reach out for help. God wants to set you free. And when you do that, my goodness, you are going to open the floodgates of heaven. You are going to be able to minister in ways that you've never seen yourself minister before. That anointing is going to flow freely in Jesus' name. So I encourage you, reach out to somebody. Amen. Woo! I feel like we've had preaching and everything today. Sex talk and preaching. <laughs> All right. <laughs> of course, I'm teasing. <laughs> well, until next time, everybody, if you know somebody who this would benefit and you know would help, please share this podcast, this episode with, with that person because you just never know. You never know who, who might need this. Until next time, if you have any uh, questions, comments, please send them to the realtalk238 at gmail.com. And we will 
Talk to you later. Have a blessed and wonderful day. Thank you for listening to the Real Talk 238 podcast for this week's episode. If you have enjoyed this episode of the Real Talk 238 podcast, please subscribe so you will be notified when new episodes are released. If you would like to leave a comment, or there is a topic you would like discussed on the Real Talk 238 podcast, you can drop an email at therealtalk238 at gmail.com. You can also find the Real Talk 238 podcast on Facebook and Instagram listed as at the Real Talk 238. As a reminder, the Real Talk 238 podcast is not a substitute, nor does it replace therapy. Always seek the advice of your physician or a qualified licensed mental health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or mental health disorder. Until next time, have a blessed day.